0: If you're a senior executive looking to transition to boards, check out our Fast Start Guide to Board Success. In this short guide, we'll answer all of your questions about landing a paid board role and we'll share some of the rookie errors executives make when trying to climb the board ladder. Jump on our website, boardcoachinginstitute.com.au or click on the link in the show notes to access your free copy today. If you're looking for board success, let us show you how. Hello welcome to Insider Insights, where you get to meet non-executive directors and go inside their boardroom. Today we're joined by Kerry Ryan, who will give her unique perspective of board life and offer up some hints and tips to help you to succeed too. Kerry is currently a non-executive director of the Retail Food Group, Aligned Leisure Kids First Australia and Mental Health First Aid International. She's also an external member of the Audit and Risk Committee at the Parliament of Victoria. Kerry has also served a nine-year term on the board of Richmond Football Club and a 10-year term at CPA Australia. So join me now and let's hear from our insider Kerry Ryan. Perry, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you here for this episode. Thanks, Sally. Great to be here. Let's start by, tell us about the boards that you're on now. What does your current board portfolio look like?
1: I have quite a mixed portfolio. I'm on a listed board called Retail Food Group, which is a multi-food franchise, award. in fact, the largest multi-food franchise in Australia, and also it manufactures and distributes coffee. I'm also on the board of Aligned Leisure, which is the subsidiary business of the Richmond Football Club, and I've recently just stepped off the board of Richmond after nine years. Also on the Audit and Risk Committee of the Parliament of Victoria, and I have a couple of not-for-profit boards, Mental Health First Aid, International and Kids First Australia, which I joined in locked up. That
0: sounds like a really diverse portfolio. I'm looking forward to unpacking that today. Can I go back in time first of all though and take me back before your board career started? What did your executive life look like for you?
1: I was a lawyer, so I spent about 15 odd years at Norton Rose Fulbright, which was formerly Deacons, and I had quite unorthodox legal career looking back. I started out as a litigation lawyer and then wanted to broaden my horizons. So I applied for what was then an Austrade Business Fellowship to Indonesia and worked in Indonesia for five years with Norton Rose's office over there in Jakarta. And, then, and then when you're in, in that sort of environment, you end up doing whatever comes through the door. So it was a whole range of different commercial work, from foreign investment, working on big infrastructure projects, to drafting commercial agreements and and anything else that comes through. And then after that, I I was actually made a partner off the back of the work in Indonesia, came back to Australia and then ended up working in India as in-house counsel with the Packer group. So I was there for a couple of years and took leave of absence from Northern Rose and then came back and built my career and my practice back in in Sydney and, and eventually came back to Melbourne. So I moved around quite a lot, but that ended up, that sort of breadth of experience ended up being quite valuable
0: when I started taking on board roles. Yes. So I'm going to ask you about that before we look at your board portfolio, because a lot of the clients that I work with have a really broad skill set. And for them, they really struggle in terms of nailing a board value proposition. And when you have that very kind of broad skill set, sometimes you can come across as more operational, more kind of across the whole business and not Necessarily strategic or having in depth experience in any one area. How were you able to gather all of those skills and kind of roll them up into a, a simple offering that you could bring to board
1: level? It's interesting, I guess, thinking back to my board journey and the start of my board journey, what I did before I joined my first sort of substantial board was take on some other minor roles. So I was an executive committee member uh, on a couple of international business councils in Australia. And then I was offered a position with a federal government advisory body, the International Legal Services Advisory Council, which provided advice to the Attorney-General on international legal services issues. And it was really those roles that that then enabled me or gave me something that was unique when I was approached about my first board role, which is with South, uh, CPA Australia. So I guess it was my international experience that really helped me. That was yeah. that was the thing. That was the value proposition, if you like, back, yeah, back the then. Yeah, the point of difference that you the had. The point of yeah. difference. Yes, yeah. that, That's right. And, you know, my first board role really was by accident in a sense. I was over in India and I met the then president of CPA Australia who was looking for a legally trained person to join the Board of CPA Australia as a non-member. And at that stage, I was running a very busy practice. My children were, were young. I was doing lots of travelling. I didn't think that I could take on anything else at that yes. point of time. But fortunately, I obtained some very good advice that, that this was a great opportunity and a good, good way for me to start my board career, should, should that be what I wanted to do after I finished my legal career. So I decided to throw my head into the ring for that. And once I'd done a lot of research on the organisation, I realised it was something that I really wanted to do. So I went through a very rigorous nominations process and fortunately was was successful for that. And that that started my board career. And
0: congratulations on that. How did you manage it though? You've run into busy practice. You've got a young family. you know. There's certainly a high degree of sort of attention needed in your work it's not like you can take a couple of days off every week and focus on your board career but how did you juggle all of that what were your secrets back then to make it work (laughs) for you? Uh,
1: Look, I think I had a lot of support from from my law firm at the time partners weren't encouraged to take on board roles because of the potential conflict of interest but the firm saw that this was a great opportunity for me and it was you know, CPS Australia is a very really prestigious organisation, so they supported me to do that, and obviously I needed to take time away from my practice. So having that that support was really valuable. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I think we—I just—I did what I want. You know, a lot of a lot of <laughs> very busy people do. We just juggle things the best best we can. But you do raise a good point. I mean, with board roles, it's not just about attending meetings; it's the all the other things that you need to do outside. The boardroom, which is you know perhaps people don't really think about when they join boards, but it does take up a lot of time, and particularly particularly not for profit organisations, I would say, also that the expect you know working for a sporting organisation, for instance, there are a lot of expectations in terms of attending events and so forth that you need to to manage. Besides, you know, in Richmond's case, monthly board meetings. Yeah. Yeah,
0: there, there is a lot of visibility in some roles more than others. And I'm reminded of a comment that Ned once made to me that was board roles are like having children. You can drop them off at school, but they're still on your mind all day. Right? <laughs> You're still worrying about what am I going to get them for dinner and what do they need at the yeah, weekend? Yeah. So you yeah. never actually switch off. You're always yeah. thinking about them all the time.
1: Yeah, um, I like that comment, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. it resonates with me.
0: So I want to talk about Richmond Football Club, because I know for you, this was probably the big hairy audacious goal, right? I'm always encouraging my clients to really aim big. And I I saw a wonderful quote last week that said, your board goals should scare you, but excite the life out of you at the same time. And that's an ideal stretch, right? How would you describe Richmond Football Club, in terms of a goal for you, was it a big stretch for you or or was it a natural progression? How did you view that?
1: Yes, interesting. I had been on the board of CPA Australia for some years when I started to think about what was going to be my next board role. And CPA Australia is a membership organisation. So I knew that I had good experience in terms of understanding the membership ethos and. And the fact that, you know, membership organisations are quite different based to to other, you know, to corporations and to partnerships and so on. So I I was really starting to think about what board I would like to join. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought it would be it's Richmond. And I happened to to be a Richmond supporter and had supported Richmond throughout my life. And I looked at their board at the time and there was only one female, Peggy O'Neill, who also happens to be the first female president in the AFL. So, I knew that there was room for another woman yeah. on that board. A lot of women support Richmond Football Club. so I knew you know I was a representative of of the supporters. and so i I ended up speaking to someone who um, who was on the nominations committee at the time and mentioned that I you know that I was interested in in Richmond and then she arranged for me to meet the then President, who was unbeknownst to me at the time, leaving shortly thereafter, and then I was invited to to go through the nominations process, and so I decided to throw my hand in the ring. I certainly didn't expect to succeed in that process. I thought it might happen some years down the track, but I I really prepared for that interview, and I was lucky enough to succeed.
0: Congratulations! It was nine years ago, <laughs> <laughs> and you did nine years on that board, so. Yes. A long tenure there, There was obviously a lot of learning, a lot of professional development that you gained on that board. But just going back to you, say you prepared, what does preparation mean? Can you ever be too prepared? Can you ever be over prepared for a board role? So what did your research entail? How did you kind of put yourself in the position where you gave yourself the best opportunity for landing this
1: role? I did a lot of research on the organisation, spoke to a number of different people about where the club was heading. I thought deeply about how I could add value to the board. I remember trying to anticipate all the questions that they would ask and actually writing answers to those questions. And, in fact, nearly all of the questions that I anticipated did did come up. Brilliant. So, I think you know, that, that sort of preparation really came through. I I went and had a look at one of the, the, the subsidiary business that, that Richmond had at the time, so driving out and, and sort of visiting that place helped. That, they were the sorts of things that I did, but I, I certainly felt when I went into the interview that I was very prepared. I, and I think I practised, you know, did some practice with someone else interviewing me. <laughs> so it was was, yeah, pretty well prepared for that one. And when you talk
0: about... You know, reaching out to people and talking to them about Richmond and, and having a look at the subsidiary and things like that. Where's the line? Because for new for senior execs who are starting out, they often don't want to look like they're trying too hard or that they're not following due process. So, to what degree can you reach out to people on the board and, and really get some inside information in terms of your due diligence and preparation. Where's the line there? What is
1: it too? Yes. Years? Look, I think I think if you happen to know someone on the board, then then that would be appropriate. If I didn't if I didn't know anybody on the board, I don't think I would make I would do that, because I think that's yeah. probably stepping over the line. It's hard when you're doing, you know, in terms of due diligence, I think it is really difficult. I spoke to the parent of a of a player in another club, for instance, and got some understanding from him about some of the issues that he he identified being the parent of a player so that it was those sorts of things that I
0: and different helped. insights from different insights different yeah. stakeholders in the yeah. organization okay yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah and it sp- definitely spoke to other members of the club to get an understanding of some of the membership issues yes yeah. so but I think you're right you know you, you need to be careful you don't know? want <laughs> go in there and start lobbying every board member. That, you don't want to be that's... too keen, right, offering
0: to buy the chair dinner. And <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think, it, you know, it's also with, with interviews, you're also doing due diligence on the organisation. It's a two-way, yeah, it's a two-way thing
0: yes.
1: because it has to be the right fit. You, you know, you, you want to be able to demonstrate your value but you've also got to be certain that the organisation is going to be the right fit for you. So it's a two-way thing in my view. So this is a
0: really interesting area because due diligence comes down to two things. It comes down to the rational, logical brain and it comes down to the emotional brain, right? So the logical, rational brain is, have I got the skills for this board? You know, it's a skills gap on the skills matrix appropriate to what I can bring, can I contribute value? And then you've got the emotional, oh, but I love Richmond and I love these people on the board. So how do you go about your due diligence to ensure that you've got a, a balance of rational judgment, making sure that this is the right thing, but also kind of following your heart, following your gut as well, because that comes into play, doesn't it?
1: Yes. I suppose what I do, I can, yeah, I can only talk about what I, what I do, I will look at the skills that I think are represented on the board and then you try and identify whether there is a gap, whether you can offer something different and then you need to be very certain about what your value proposition is based on what you know because you don't know everything. And then I try and I'll look at the values of the organisation and the strategy of the organisation, and try and get a feel for whether that fits with my own values, and and you try you try and get a sense of the of the culture of the organisation as well. So that's they're more sort of those emotional things, but you're right; it is both. And I think you've got to. I mean, the the, the relationship with the chair is very important. Yeah. So meeting with the chair and trying to get a feel for for whether you you know you can work well with the chair and trying to assess whether the chair is a good leader of the organization and that's that's all really hard when you're coming in but they're the sorts of things that that you've got to do in terms of marrying up that logical stuff and the emotional i think
0: and do you have
1: any deal breakers like if they're
0: Ideal, the best board role in the whole wide world was offered to you tomorrow. What are your deal breakers that you just won't go past? You won't accept. What do you have to have in your board career?
1: Mm, deal breakers. <laughs> well, I guess yeah. Look, I can say that in terms of things that have been offered to me recently, I was offered a chair role for a particular organisation, and in that organisation, the chair was paid. But the other directors weren't paid. Wow. So, okay. so that ended up being a deal breaker for me because I could see that that wasn't going to be ideal, especially coming in from the outside. Yeah, um, with your so,
0: ethical background as well, that's not going to sit well in terms of integrity and the things that you've practiced at law.
1: Yeah. And I just thought it would, you know, it'd be, it would, could create tension. So that was one where I said no. There was another, I had another offer recently for a board role and it was in an industry that I just didn't feel comfortable with so there are some industries I know that I just you know that I I won't look at in terms yes. of board roles so they're, they're deal breakers for me yeah I prefer not to work on boards where there's a federated structure I think they can be quite Problematic. I don't. I don't know if that's a deal breaker. I'd probably probably look at those roles, but yeah, I'd be thinking twice about those. They're um, very
0: complex. Yeah,
1: yeah. If I'm, you know, you've got to do your financial due diligence. So if, if a company's in financial difficulty, you really need to look at that right. because of the, you know, the potential liability, uh, trading loss and solvent. So they're the sorts of things that would be that I'd be concerned about okay and
0: can I ask about having impact we always talk about having impact and influence in the boardroom you've had several roles now what's your strategy when you're getting onto a board for the first time how do you kind of ease yourself into that role and make an impact and have influence on that role as fast as you possibly can how do you approach it yeah
1: good question I probably approach that the way I approach most things I just work really hard and put the time and effort into learning as much as possible so I during the induction period really try and meet, meet with as many people as I can I read through the information that I that I receive as thoroughly as I can have my questions prepared try and engage as much as possible because you're not only trying to get up to speed you're trying to establish relationships as well okay. yeah in terms of when you're actually when you're on the board you've got to listen deeply but also you've got to realize that you're coming in with fresh eyes and so you can be quite potent in that in that early period because you you know you might ask questions around things that others just take for granted um, yeah. or or yeah. become a bit complacent about so having the courage <laughs> to ask questions around things with fresh eyes, I think is really important. I think, you know, but being enthusiastic and getting to know your fellow board members, I really appreciate it when someone invites me out to coffee when I first join a board and, and, and I always take up that offer and I make sure when I join a board, someone, if there's a new person joining a board that I'm on that I offer the same, the same thing, because I think that really helps just, you know, if you can get to know your fellow board directors, it, it just builds that trust, and you can challenge each other, and so yes. forth. It's really important to understand the board dynamics as well, and and how things are done, and you know behind the scenes, and, and and getting to understand the culture, of course, and that that takes time, but it also takes effort. And in my view, you get out what you put in. So just try and be as engaged as as possible.
0: Brilliant, brilliant, and. I guess no two boards are ever the same, right? It depends who's around the table and what we're discussing, but do you find that you can get a really good sense of how this board performs before you join it? Is there enough that you can do to get an idea of the culture and the relationships that are on a board, or does it really take being on that board to see
1: it and and feel it? I always ask that question in my board interviews I ask, how would you describe the board dynamics and the board culture? And it's interesting okay. the, the answers that come from that question. So that's sort of one one way, but that's yeah. <laughs> that's not going to give you the complete picture. I think it does take a while. Personally, I think, and bo- you know, boards change as well. Chairs change, so particularly, and if you've got maximum terms, which some boards do, some don't. There's going to be rotation, so yes. it's not it's not a static thing either it's yeah that's a difficult one I think but you 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 know you try and do as much due diligence as you can by just asking different people
0: who might have yeah and I guess listening to what's not said as well as what is said that would give you some clues
1: (laughs) yes yes
0: they're having a look at your portfolio you've you've got a really great spread there you've got some there's a really good diversity amongst those different board roles that you've got was that intentional for you, having a little bit of everything, or have you just kind of ended up
1: spread that, that way? No, it, it wasn't intentional. No, my board career has certainly not been well planned, but I, I guess what I would say is that I've embraced opportunities when they've come my way. And I must say, I really enjoy having a diverse portfolio as I mentioned earlier, it was you know CPA Australia, then then Richmond, and the two membership organisations, the listed board. I was approached about, and took that on. That was about seven years ago, so that's been a really interesting role. And the two not for profits were ones that I applied for. They were they were advertised, and I applied for them during lockdown. I had some capacity and I thought that I'd like to to do something more in the community space and and give back and I must say they've been so far very rewarding roles and then the most recent one is the is the audit risk committee for for Parliament of Victoria which is a relatively new role for me but fascinating and what I'm thoroughly enjoying. So lots of different
0: skills that you're learning there that cross-pollination across boards and different industries what do you think would be your top challenges being a non-executive director what are the the things that you have to be mindful of coming into a board directorship
1: I think the one I mentioned earlier just that the time the time that you need to yeah. put into different roles I you know I had, I had six roles including Richmond so that's that's quite you know that's quite a lot a lot of work and as mentioned earlier it's not just the board sort of just attending the board meetings it's it's all, all the things you need to do outside the boardroom staying abreast of what you need to across different industries I read very widely and I will also I also take responsibility for my own professional development so you know through organizations like the AICD and the governance Institute of Australia I recently for instance undertook a course, an online course in cybersecurity. Yes. Um, so I did Harvard University eight-week course, about 15 hours a week on cybersecurity because that was an issue that was was coming up on all of my boards. So yeah. upskilled myself in that area and, and it's been really beneficial. So I think just staying, you know, staying across all of the things that you need to, and it's not, and then also it's not just the industry, it's sort of understanding really what's going on in the business. So spending as much time as you can with management and the executive team, you know, that's, that can be difficult in, in if you're working interstate, which I have with, you know, Retail Food, Food Group, for instance, that's organisations based in Queensland, so it's more difficult than the ones in Melbourne. But I think really trying to understand the things that are going on in the business as well as the, the sector and just generally, there would be a couple of challenges I think also making sure that, you know, you're really, really well prepared for meetings, so that, that in, you know, really thoroughly wearing, reading your board papers and thinking, thinking ahead about issues and, being, you know, being prepared to ask, the, you know, have your questions prepared and the things that you need to, to probe. That, I think that's a real challenge. They're probably the, the main ones.
0: Yeah, it was interesting that you said about what's going on inside your business, because one of the challenges with Australia is we have so many different and often competing regulatory frameworks. You know, you've got industry frameworks, state frameworks, Commonwealth frameworks. It must be a challenge just understanding all the frameworks that apply to each industry, let alone what's involved in all of them. So, yeah, I, I was just reflecting, as you said, that that, that would be quite the challenge. Uh, just coming to a close, what advice would you have if there's a senior executive listening right now, they're planning on launching their board career, they've got some experience, that executive committee experience that you spoke of earlier that you had. So they've, they've got a really good understanding of how the boardroom might work, but they're really looking for that first role, that first opportunity, what advice would you have to them
1: starting out right now? I would say try and identify where you want to play, like what industries interest you, and then think about what companies you'd be interested in joining the board of, think about who you might know on the board and how you might get to meet someone on the board and putting you know expressing your interest in joining the board and then really understanding how you can add value that's sort of a very targeted approach i'd also be letting it known to people in your network that you're interested in establishing a board career so the word the word gets out there have make, make sure you've got a board ready cv do the icd course look at other organizations that you can join and there's you know there's women on boards there's the government registers those sorts of organizations to just just to register your interest and then really really think about the skills that you have and your strengths and what you can offer and what you might need to do to upskill yourself so that you're that you're ready a lot of people take on not-for-profit roles as a way to you know, to to get up to speed with how board work works, so that's that's another avenue. But you've got to be careful that then you don't know, just get get siloed into that not for profit sector. Yeah. If that's not what you want if that's not what you want. Yeah. So, they're the sorts of things that I would be thinking about if I were starting out and planning
0: <laughs> my, my yeah. board career. And conversely, from the other side of the table, if you're on that nominations committee, you're looking to recruit a board member to the table, what would you be looking for in that new candidate that's not got the board experience, but what kind of attributes, characteristics would you be looking at them to give them a go, give them a first start in your board?
1: It really depends on the board and all the boards that I sit on and I chair quite a few NOMS committees. We have a skills matrix, so we, we have the skills that we're looking for. So it it doesn't necessarily, you know, we don't need someone to have had lots of board experience if we if we're after a particular skill set. So that's one thing. I always look at skills, experience, and attributes. So when we take on new candidates, I'm always looking for somebody to be motivated for the right reasons. You want to see that they that they have the time. Uh, in fact there's I call it the five C's that I look for capacity, capability, commitment, conviction, and, and courage. They're sort of the five C's. Um, I love
0: that. Can we just go through <laughs> those one by one? I don't know I don't know.
1: Capacity? Capacity, capability, commitment, conviction, and courage. There's probably another one I don't there. Did I say curiosity? No. No, the six it, <laughs> Six C's. <Six. laughs> you also want to make sure that that the candidate has the right values so Mm. and that they will be a good fit around the table so it's those those interpersonal skills are really important because I think whilst you might be looking for functional skills around the board table if you've got nine spots for instance the functional skills might fill up a few but then you just want people who are you know really good decision makers and are going to be work you know work well around the board table so it's yeah the interpersonal skills are, are very, very important. obviously we, we you know we, we look at how somebody performs in an interview and the sorts of questions that they ask. and
0: what's a great question that someone can ask in an interview? What's the best <laughs> question you've heard? Oh gosh.
1: I can't think of a a particular question, but I think what always impresses me is when, a candidate has really done their homework and that really shines through and then they, you know, they they ask questions about the strategy or, you know, where the organisation is going and when they can articulate very well the value that they can bring. And it it always surprises me when candidates can't actually. Demonstrate, yeah, the value because that's that's you know that's what as an interviewer that's what you want to hear. You know what's what's the value that that you you bring based on what you know. And obviously they don't know everyone, not know everything because they're not yeah, but
0: from what they
1: understand, what they know, what do they think is the value that they bring? I think that that always really impresses me. But I can't think of one particular question that's dazzled me. That was very
0: (laughs) very helpful. We often talk about having a really clearly articulated board value proposition that speaks to the opportunities you can help the business to create, the problems you can help the business to solve, and how you might be influential in managing or mitigating the risks. Because that's what the board wants to know, right? What do you have to bring? How are you going to create value around here? And then the second most important thing is that fitting in, how do you fit in? around here because you can have the best value proposition in the world but if you're not going to fit in with the team that's already on the table then those decisions aren't going to get made
1: yeah that's right I mean you don't want a table thumper you want someone who can (laughs) (laughs) ask questions in a really constructive way and who will you know both support and challenge management yeah, um, because I think that, I mean, you know, you've really got to support management, particularly in difficult times, That's that part of your role is really important. You want someone who's going to be a good ambassador for the organisation. So it's, yeah, it's all of those, all of those things.
0: There's a lot of things. There are a lot of things to consider. And I always say to the clients who get shortlisted, but unfortunately don't get offered the role, when you get down to that end, when you're shortlisted, It's more about who is going to be the best fit for the current dynamics that we've got right now than it is about who's got the best skills or it's not like the executive role. The executive role, you always employ the best qualified person for the role. When you get down to shortlisted, you've got to assume that everyone is equally qualified or able, but it's now about dynamics and cultural fit and you know, maybe what's your second, third, and fourth skill set that you're bringing in? Because maybe another candidate can fill another gap with a secondary skill. So, to anyone who's got close but not quite there yet, is there any words of encouragement that you could give to them? Maybe.
1: Don't give up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I think look, I think you just articulated that very well. It's you know, it, it's often there can be you know, it can come, it really can come down to. Two or three candidates, yes. and and it's very, and it can be very difficult to choose between between you know, yes. the, the short list. Just try and get as much feedback as you can. Try and learn from your interviews. I always take something away from from my interviews. You know, both positive things and, and negative things. The more interviews that I am involved in, both as an yes. interviewer and an interviewee, and then I, I think it's just trying to, and then really sort of thinking about the more you can. Demonstrate your value. I think that that's the thing. Yeah. That what Noms committees really want to know is how can you help us? What can you do for us? So that yes. I think if you as long as you, if you go into an interview and you just want to talk about all your wonderful experience, that that's not going <laughs> to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've got to relate it to the, to the organisation. So yeah, you keep, keep doing that. I think that's that's the key. Keep
0: tying it back to what the board's working on, what the board's looking to achieve. Yeah, that's. Great advice, really, really good advice. I think in sales and marketing we have features and benefits. So the feature is, you know, it's a gelling pen, but the benefit is, which means that you can get a beautiful flow in your writing, and and that that's what you're saying there. You know, that the feature is I have this excellent skill set. The benefit is what that means to this board is I will be able to help navigate whatever. Thank you so much for your time, Kerry. I know that you are incredibly busy, so I'm so appreciative of you dropping in today to record this episode. Really, really keen to watch where your board portfolio goes because it's certainly a very diverse portfolio. I'm not sure where you could go beyond what you have, but I wish you all the very, very best. And thank you sincerely for dropping in today and sharing the
1: insights that you have. Thanks, Sally. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me.
0: You've been listening to Insider Insights with Sally Parrish. Insider Insights is the place to meet non-executive directors and go inside their boardroom to learn from their experience. We hope you've discovered some great learnings today that you can apply to your board role. We look forward to your company on the next episode of Insider Insights.